0: How are you doing this week?
1: Yeah, very well. I'm very excited today because it's the NFL draft, so something to look forward to in the early hours of the morning and the next few days, and uh, obviously the kind of coverage that that follows up with player interviews and being able to look into things, do some research. So yeah, it's an exciting exciting week. It will get yeah, me over uh, the uh, the English
0: football. You're a Cardinals fan. Let me let me find out a couple of weeks ago.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So hoping they uh, there's some, some positions in need that they need to recruit for. So, yeah, looking forward to seeing who they get and um, seeing a bit of wheeling and dealing. It's always fun. But, yeah, there's some shoe-ins, like who's going to go first. Um, it'll be Trevor Lawrence, who's a quarterback, and then there'll be quite a few quarterback selections in the top ten. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see who's going who's gonna to go, where they're going to go to, and something to, to keep my mind... T- uh occupied for the next few days what about you how's how's things
0: good i uh i went and met someone this week for the first time uh Ooh. for since since lockdown, we're both germophobes anyway so we we definitely did the distancing we definitely did the masks we definitely did the the weird p- people going for a walk in the park that were like very separated so we went we were i'm in my late 30s he's in his mid 40s so we were, we we're like these weird two blokes walking around the park which is entertaining
1: I like it, I can imagine it now two metre distance shouting at each other, hearing's Dodging going dogs. so, yeah <laughs> it's quite funny my um, my business partner, he's got this spray, that he just kind of, like you'll be in the meeting and he's just spraying himself like kind of everywhere and it's supposed to be you know, I suppose anti-back spray that kind of goes everywhere but yeah it's, it's funny, like he sits down and you hear this sh- 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 and he's just kind of spreading himself. He's he's definitely in the germaphobe category. Worried. Well,
0: so he won't be going to any uh, sporting events or conferences in the next few weeks, then.
1: No, he's um he's usually on a slightly different circuit the the art fair circuit, which is uh, an interesting one in relation to today. Very very niche, obviously, but um interesting in relation to today's topic because uh, we're going to be speaking about conferences and you know the art fairs are it's a circuit that goes on throughout the year you get these big art fairs everybody goes it's a lot of social um, you know meet art collectors existing and new do some networking uh, try and sell some art for big money you know it tours around the world from LA to you know New York, Basel, London, Miami and it's just this huge logistical operation that um, has struggled to uh, look sustainable because of the you know people shipping costs, space involved and uh but it was something that was hugely disrupted uh by the pandemic and it, it was basically you know you saw minimum a kind of thirty percent of all art galleries losing their revenue because they were so reliant on these kind of i suppose trade events uh to sell their wares and uh yeah the the big ones are kind of you know freeze, which is in London in october uh, which is. If you're into your art, it's cool to go for a look around. Um, and then Art Basel is the other kind of big brand. And then there's some others like FIAC in Paris. And there's all sorts. But yeah, it's this kind of circuit that if you're in the high-end art world, you know about. And the collectors like to go fit, you know, in person. And um, yeah, hugely disrupted. And now they're talking about digital fatigue. And the want to return to, to physical. So um yeah, it ties in a little bit with today, um and what we're gonna be talking about. And I'm kind of excited to get into it because, you know, conferences have all well, and events have always been a bit of a bugbear of mine. Like the value you get from them and everything else. So I'm I'm ready to get stuck in. Where do you wanna start?
0: I think like if I give a, a bit of an intro to to what we we're talking about and how we can how we can sort of frame it. So with the loosens of uh, lockdown or quarantine in in what they call it in the US, well, people flock back to like in-person events. And the reason why I sort of said that is um, there's like a huge ramp up of of other events. So whether that's conferences, charity events or large branded events. So probably for the last 12 months, you haven't been, haven't had an ask from a donation site uh, to support a friend because they haven't been able to run a marathon, swim, or do do some sort of uh, fundraising event. So I think the last weekend was is really the first weekend that had loads of big sporting events back in in stadiums or arenas. So the Cup Final had four thousand in. We had twenty thousand in Florida for the UFC card, which was which was very good. By the way, if anyone hasn't seen it, I wouldn't suggest looking at some of the injuries that was sustained during it. But I think companies are obviously hungry to put events back on. And I think there's like a little bit of a demand starting to happen, and there's a bit of a desire for people to start sort of coming back in person. I think there's like uh, I've already been asked to speak at an event in late June, and I I asked what the safety precautions were and what their plans were and how they're going to you know make sure everyone's safe, and the response was we're just doing it. What the government's basic guidelines are just going to follow those, and I said as a speaker I wouldn't feel comfortable in in just that. And actually it would have to be a little bit it would have to be a lot more than that and I think it's it's a sort of a great time to to think around you know is our conf- conferences going to be different now and are they going to be the big economic drivers that they once were so when Nick and I did a did a chat before before the podcast and we talk around topics we're talking around south by Southwest web summit and some of the really big conferences that are really like big shows and big productions but have a conference element to it and I'm not sure that there's going to have this huge demand and huge economical impact that it it did a couple of years ago and beyond because I'm not I personally don't think there's that, that huge demand in it um, and then just sort of my last one last sort of tie up with in was I'm keynote an event in um the early part of june and it was really deliberately selected by the conference organizer to be online only and it was deliberate so everyone you know everyone had a fair chance to a attend but do it on demand and it's whether that like, we think the future state of conferences is is going to be as they are now or are we going to move towards a hybrid sort of model so i think we're going to sort of discuss the past the present and then the future
1: yeah, and I'm I'm happy to wade in on the past and state for the record that I hate conferences, like I absolutely hate them. I think, you, you know, you, you mentioned Web Summit there and that's that's one that, you know, it, it was on my bad conference list when I was trying to put a list together of things that I think are, you know, conferences, events that are good and, and those that are bad in the kind of B2B world. Um, and web summit was like top of my list on bad conferences because you know it's too big you're rushing around it's too busy like everyone's trying to sell their wares to like looking for vcs it's, it's like it's cringy it's it's literally like i look back you know in the days of when, when did i like first go what like i've lost track of the years let's say like eight years ago and and i just think oh how cringe was that like everyone Trying to hustle, are you even using that term? Like makes makes me like um, everyone trying to hustle to meet VCs and like be like this is what we do. We're like, what do you think? Like blah, blah, blah. Like like massive networking, but also pressure to make it count because you know small businesses, startups who haven't got maybe you know they're probably looking for investment, right? Um, or a, a large portion of that crowd who might take a small stand or might just go as an attendee are looking for investment and they haven't got much money. And it costs to go. You got bloody travel to Dublin, put yourself up. This before obviously moved. Um, Travel to Dublin, put yourself up, food, drink, travel, you know, in and out of the conference. Um, You're probably wanting to do some meetings, wine and dining, whatever your approach is. It's like, there's pressure to make it count. And actually decent costs. Like I I remember one year, some guys that i know who had a, they had a really good company actually it was called Inkly. it was a, one of the kind of first kind of digital um greeting cards companies so you download their app you could do a handwritten message pick loads of designs they were out there like peddling that and i think they had another app which was an events based app called um roundup i think it was called and it was about, like, basically the, the premise was the ability to plan events in groups. So say, like, you're all going on a lad's holiday. You could, like, add it into this app, like, arrange all the travel. Everything's kind of kept in the app anyway. They're out there. They're in cap and t-shirts. They're flying in the park. Like, they're doing all sorts. Like, they're really, like, trying to make it count. And the pressure's just so high. And I just felt like, God, this is, like, a cattle market. It's just, it was, like, it just, just didn't do it for me and and really i was more interested in the social element and than the conference i went for the conference to think oh, there's going to be some really good value here um but there wasn't and actually the more interesting side of it was the social side you meet more people in the social side it's more relaxed like obviously you're you're around like temple bar which is just like classic like where should we take the tourists um uh, but yeah they have these big names that draw the crowd but I just remember sitting in these conferences you're rushing to get a seat out there's like 500 people, 1,000 people whatever in the auditorium and like you're trying to hear someone speak uh, who was it? it was one of the early investors in Tesla or something like that one of the VC guys I can't remember who specifically but everyone's there like on the edge of their seats so what's he going to say? and you just like they don't say anything that's that you didn't know already or that is that interesting and I just think like this is the thing, when I was thinking about this, it's like, how I dissected it was, why do you go to conferences in the first place, right? And you go to learn, network, maybe the social element, you know, you want to get out of the office maybe, or you want to switch it up. Um, and actually, when I look around at like, and obviously in the past, these physical events aren't going to be like, you know, I'm going to say it now, I think big physical conferences are dead in the way that they used to be, these soulless I just want to spin out some money. So I've become a kind of conference organizer. I've got no real credibility and my business is just this kind of startup conference. And for me, those conferences are just, they're soulless. They're they are dead, I think going forwards. I, I, I just don't think they've got, they've been superseded because, you know, if we look at why I go to conferences, if I go to conferences to learn, well, I've got access to all of the speakers at the touch of a button via podcasts, or I can read articles, or I can go on their own personal blog. Like say, Gary V, like Gary Vernacek, just for example, just cause he pops to mind as someone prominent on social media. He he could be like a keynote at a conference, right? But what's the point in going to watch Gary V when he's peddling his content to me on Instagram and whatever other channel, LinkedIn, wherever else I, I might follow him 24 seven. Like there's nothing I can go and see Gary V tell me at a keynote conference that I'm not gonna have heard him say before or he hasn't shared the clip of him talking at a previous keynote and saying before, you know. So like that this is where they've got to evolve because I can learn more outside of a conference. Networking, no one's cracked networking for me. Um networking at conferences is like, oh my god like the things that make my skin crawl, take my business card. Like Stuff like that, like, here's my business. Like, you can't wait. They're, like, shuffling in their inside pockets of the blazer, trying to find a little card wallet. And then they're like, I'll oh, take my card. Like, yeah, 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 let's connect, boom, boom, boom. And it's like, Jesus. like. And then you come back. Like, it used to be almost like, um, it used to be that competition of who could come back with the most business cards. That's who's had the most successful conference, right? And uh, I remember in the finance days, like, I, I remember when I first, like, went, when it was an event, it was like a networking event. Um, hosted by, I think it was like a solicitors firm, and I went and I was like dreading this. I just started. I was like twenty three. I just started my first business as as a in finance in like a brokerage, but like we all had our own. We all had to basically create our own work. And I went out with this guy who was a colleague at the time, and I said, Oh my god, I'm like dreading this network. I'm reasonably outgoing, like you know, but I was like I'm dreading this network and just chatting absolute small talk to people that I don't really want to be talking to, just trying to hawk after some business. He was like, I'll give you a tip, he was like, networking's like murder. It gets easier the more you do it. And I was like, (laughs) what? I was like, anyway, that that always stuck with me. It was a funny thing to say, but it, 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 it kind of is true in the fact that the more you network, the more you do it. But I just, for me, I was just like, this is so superficial and so false and everybody's after something. It's just totally against like modern principles as well of like, give, 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 ask, or I think it was A-Rod who was saying the other day, you know, like, never ask before you've interacted with someone like 10 times, like, even if it's a mentor or a business associate, whatever it is, like, you've got to be keeping up your comms, building actual genuine relationships before you just like asking for business or asking for intros or whatever it may be. And I just think with networking, it's never quite worked for me. I've never enjoyed it because of the superficial nature of it. You know, I've been in those situations where someone's like, name badge check. Oh, what do you do? Oh, what's their position in the company? You know, you've got like CMO or something on your name badge. They're like, oh, oh, this is exciting, like talking to you. And then they're like, oh, so what does your company do? Blah, blah, blah. And you, you know, you're giving it the elevator. and And then they, basically step back and they're like is this person interesting to me or not and if they're real cutthroat they're like see you later and they like move and you see them doing it with the next person you're like oh my god this is get me out of it so learning i think you can do better elsewhere networking i think no one's quite cracked that nut but it doesn't work you know speed networking at uh wherever it just doesn't work anyway it, it, it can work, like I think in certain industries, but generally it's uh, I, I just don't think it works. And then if you're going for the social element or the switch up of environments or something else, yeah, that's where the physical side comes in. And I think we're all suppressed in our social lives and everybody's looking for a bit of bounce back into physical, but yeah, like are people going to be flocking to conferences as, as a physical draw? I'd, like, I don't know, I don't think, I think one of the things is, and sorry, I'll, I'll hand over to you because I know I could get into this, like I'm, I'm ranting now, I'm on the verge of ranting. But I don't think court, like businesses are gonna wanna pay for people to go to conferences either, because it's much more effective for them to do it online. You know, if you can go online and it costs, I don't know, say 99 pounds a ticket versus 499 a ticket, plus travel, plus accommodation, plus expenses, like which one which one's your your company gonna choose. So, you know, unless you're paying for yourself, uh, and there are certain events that I would pay personally to attend. Um just because I'm interested, or I really like the speakers, or it might be something that that resonates with me. And we can actually get into that in, in a little bit, but that's that's my quick ranty synopsis of <laughs> So it's probably better I shut
0: up. It's good that you uh excuse me, it's good that you you had the rant before me because I've got very strong opinions on on it but it is really fascinating what you said around, you know, networking is like murder you see the people that are like, their job solely is to go to these conferences and seek out people and and find out, I think the the thing that you said that is, is most compelling to me is the learning aspect you know, like I think if people are going to conferences they should be going to learn and then go and help those in the in the office or their colleagues to learn or co-learn what they had. I don't think I you know, I think there are a number of roles, a number of people that signed up to conferences just to get out of the office historically. And I'd be very surprised if really big companies would entertain to pay for an event where they're paying five hundred to a thousand dollars or pounds. For you to go to an event where you don't really learn, if you don't really network, the the thing that I sort of always come back to with events is and conferences especially is I've been on both sides. I've been, the, you know, I've been the attendee, I've been a sponsor, and I've also been, you know, from a you know the last speaker to the to the keynote speaker. And there's there's so many different dynamics, but I think it's actually set up for just the event organizer to like typically to make as much money because I don't there's only a few conferences that are really set up for the attendee or the speaker to win so I think we got into yeah. this really bad habit for for conferences where you know you use Gary Vee as an example they'd pay high amounts of money for a Gary Vee. Um, you know typically it costs around 50 grand to get him to come and speak at an event um, then he'll you know they'll turn up they'll do a keynote and they'll disappear they won't stay around. They won't do the network, and they won't talk to people. They might do mm. some Q and A, but like you said, he you know he reproduces and reshares that content. So what you're probably getting from that conference, he's probably uploaded already on YouTube or not. Rory Sullivan said something interesting. Um, he's I think he's the chairperson at Ogilvy. Um He's you know for anyone that's not in the in the sort of marketing and advertising space, he's he's like a guru basically for a lot of people. He often well he says, and he's quoted, and I'll try and find a link essentially he only ever creates the presentation per event, so he doesn't try and reuse it, which I think's really interesting It's something I've always tried to do as well as a speaker is try and mm-hmm. be really really specific for it, so I think there's like there's a load there that we can we can dive into and unpack I think mm. you said around the business cards. There's Tappy, which you can essentially um, put a business card next to your phone now, and it will take, yeah. the, take the take the details on there. Yeah. What that what a lot of these things don't do is they don't make it actionable. So you don't know the context mm. of who they are. You don't remember the conversation you've had. You don't know like really how it went both sides. So I think mm. there's all these different nuances and le- uh, layers and levels to it. And something mm. um, when I was doing my sort of research and notes and. Try to try not to rant was people forget that like events have been hybrid for a hybrid for a long time and one example i'd I'd sort of throw out there just so people can get context of it was ted and tedx is has been hybrid since day one so it's a thousand you know thousands of pounds to host it's usually around five thousand to have your own event or your own tedx then they get plenty of sponsors, so that's the, the economic side of it. And then some of them charge the speakers. And then what the speakers try and do is they try and leverage it to get a million views on YouTube <coughs> and then to get a book deal. So there's all these different like nuances that I think a lot of people don't necessarily work out. But mm. it's maybe, maybe um, something for us to sort of dive into is like the the past, the previous sort of conference used to be, you know... You host as large a conference as you could, is yeah. you're confident to get as many people in it as possible. You had a, a number of speakers. Typically, there are big logos, so you try and then at, attract people to turn up to hear a story that, that they're not going to get given, because most big companies aren't allowed to give any anyway, any trade secrets or any intel or any inside or any numbers at all. And that's you know that's one of my bugbearers, and I could rant about that for a long time but you, you don't necessarily get anything and if it's an unrecognizable, unrecognizable logo then often you're not invited to speak and then some, mm. some conferences will charge you to go and speak which I, again I think is ludicrous I think yeah. it has to be affordable for the business to invest into panels weren't very useful but interestingly due to lockdown panels is something that we're, getting, we're, we're becoming more and more used to for free and they've actually become mm. more, more relevant online and one, mm. of the, one of the things that happened, I was on one with Rio Ferdinand this summer, or last summer, and it was fascinating, it was around mental health and investment, and it just mm. shows you how, how we're, we're opening up and it's all different and we kind of had to adapt. And then I think the you know, it wasn't affordable for self-employed people who would probably get most benefit from it. Mm. And the events were like quite ca- ca- category specific and it became quite niche, which helped people decide which event to go to but the bigger, broader events were so broad that, you know, you had to choose between Al Gore speaking and someone from mm-hmm. Tesco speaking and, you know, there was a queue outside the door for for any really big names. And then I mm-hmm. think you know, you were live presenting content and that was what the you know, those speakers shared the content with, you know, if they were a lucky post event and then some talks would come available on YouTube. But that's not really, you know that's probably not gonna help majority of people that attend a conference. That that style. And I think that's what, what we're gonna to get to in the future is that it has to change. And I think to the now, um we've it's had to go offline. You know, it's gonna to have to go to you know, a hybrid model. There's yeah, a flood of conversations. Panels become normalized really and it actually probably become more useful and more podcast like. I think it's typically, you know, live and online and then that became free. And, you know, will people want to, you know, there's loads of questions I'm going to ask you. There's, you know, is that something people are going to be able to charge for? I think mm. that a lot of them were pre-recorded on-demand because, you know, they had to be produced well enough and then had to be put on a, at like a live time and then had to become on-demand because it's a bit like a party, only sort of 50% turn up. Mm. And then the number of engagement elements increased. So speaker got a better experience the audience did but whether that was good enough or is it good enough, yet? Yeah, we'll get into. And I think audio is always the thing that kills things, whether you're doing a Zoom, whether you're doing a podcast, whether you're speaking at an event. Like poor audio really diminishes what you're trying to deliver. So you can have the best presentation or have the best message and audio dies on you and people just don't get the message.
1: Look, there's, look, there's a lot to unpack in there and I think there's different ways... And different things we're, we're we're going to cover off. I think like a, a nice way to start because I think you know it touches on you know I've I've spoken at, at events, uh, you've spoken at events. You mentioned the panel discussion with Rio there, which is obviously really interesting. I didn't listen to that either, so send me the link because I'd like to check it out. Um, and you can put it in the show notes if you want want to be, if you want to get a million views, then uh, it'll be all good. So. um what makes as as a speaker here's my question to you right because i think there's the speaker there's attendee there's host as a speaker what makes a good event for you what attracts you to speak at that conference or event
0: so when i was so when i was like the most senior person at previous organizations or you know within a discipline very often like um There's a couple of events that I've spoken at which I know the event organiser and I knew that the audience were quite high quality. So often I'd say to them, what's the audience like? You know, what's the message you're trying to get across? When am I going to speak? Because you you learn quite quickly as a speaker and that in the afternoon no one tends to stick around for too long or they go for early beers. So you never want to be after sort of 3.30. But what makes me speak at different events are the audience... If I've got something compelling to say or share, and then um, if it's a keynote, which has happened in the last few years, is like what is it that you're? What's the message you're trying to get across this for the event? so when mm-hmm. I did disrupt the disrupted marketing conference in 2019, which was a really good event actually. Um, it was around speaking in front of an audience that was quite diverse, so never from you know entry level all the way up to C suite. And I could get across that the the CMO role was, was being taken down and dismantled. And it was a way for people to get a bit of a wake up call and understand that change was coming. And then if CMOs didn't change their approach and their ways, then actually the CMO role probably would be uninvited from board meetings. There would be very much a delivery based um department versus a like a strategic based department like it's it's been since the mm since the 80s so there's all that different reasons and the other thing is often when people invite me to speak at events they don't really have an idea of what you want to speak around so for me it's quite nice because I can I've got a load of different ideas and I want to want to rattle through or or, and I love putting presentations together I'm a massive I get better I have more of a life and putting a presentation together than 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 presenting sometimes
1: I I was going to compliment you on one of the things that you do do well at previous conferences you've done over the years and you know we've caught up around those and and when I've seen your slide, slide deck on SlideShare and the fact that you're willing to put the time in to create the slide deck at the beginning anyway to educate the audience and then allow audience to engage with that content whilst they're watching you and make that available afterwards like you hear it all the time, we'll make this available after the talk and like it never happens or you never follow up on it. I've always found with things that you've done over the years that 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 slide deck is always available, it's there, people can access it, people then can then engage with what you're saying rather than trying to write notes like constantly, you see them like the notepad transcribers who basically try to transcribe everything you're saying in the audience as, as you're saying it. It's like yeah like just be there be present engage and then follow up and i think actionable is is one of the key things there and yeah i yeah just uh just a, a little note to say yeah good job on because you are very very good on those presentations
0: thank you very much have you know you said about the note takers i noticed in 2018 2019 it was the get the camera out and take a picture of the slide yeah,
1: video well yeah. they or, or they video the whole thing like yeah slide i i I mean sometimes i've done it like you know if it's something super compelling i'm like oh yeah like i need to know about this like i've taken a few shots but i think i you know for me it's like the quality of the speaker that controls the room and says hey like before we get going like be present be engaged get ready to ask questions this slide deck is going to be available to all of you afterwards i'll even give you a link where you can find it at the end so don't worry about taking photos and don't worry about, like, you know, some people are always going to do it. But yeah, like some people filming the whole thing, like whatever. But I I think it's just that whole factor, like being present. And I think that's one of the things that, like why audience is quite key for me. Like when I've done things before and you see, like, I I, I like to do. I can't remember. I did that one at the Festival of Marketing. I can't remember whether you, you were there or not. Yeah, but, I was, yeah. Front row. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you, you were front row. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, throwing pelters at me probably. But I did the stand-up, sit-down stuff mm. to get across. You, you know, the, the, the point I was trying to get across to marketers and also researchers is that everybody is a researcher now, like regardless of whether it's your job title or not everybody's got the capability of doing desktop research to certain levels and using the the insight they collect to make decisions and and you know so i did some audience engagement stuff as you'll remember as stand up sit down you know if you've done this if you've done that just to make sure people are paying attention and make sure And, and and the amount of times i don't see that like i quite like doing that because It keeps the audience on their toes. It makes sure they're listening, makes sure they're engaged. Like if you're doing it for purpose and it can change their way of thinking or instantly get a point across, um, then, you know, I think it's a powerful tool. But the amount of people that just like, here's my slide deck. I'm here again. I'm just going to whack it out and deliver it. You know, I will give it a bit of gusto, but I don't really want to be here. (laughs) And, you, you know, like I've seen that so many times as well. And and that's where I think, I, I think one big area, like people who are hosting these events, I think one big area that they need to get right is speaker relations. Like, how do you build good relationships with the speakers? How do you make sure the speakers are people who are going to give the audience value, that the audience want to listen to? Um, and, you know, half the time you're looking for like, what's the title of the talk rather than who's the speaker? Like you'll go to the, who's the speaker next? Okay, topic of interest, who's the speaker, what company they work for, what position at? Um, But I think the the conferences and events need to do a better job of fostering speaker relationships. Like they need to be seeking out who are the best speakers. Like it doesn't need to be a big name. It needs to be someone that's got something interesting to say, you know, and they usually go down the big name route or the big company name route out there from, you know, Amazon. You know, it's like classic CV stuff. Oh, they work to Google or let's hire them? You know, it's like they need to be better at their selection because it gives, like it's almost like the way I see it is an art form. If you're putting on an event, you want to be curating the best speakers. You want to be like, this is why our events the best because we have the finger on the pulse of this industry. We know who the movers and the shakers are. We know who we should be getting to speak at this. And it's your trust in our brand that is gonna bring you the best quality content and the best learnings here. And I think that's where, you know, like events like everything else got complacent and they just became this like rinse and repeat format. I get a crappy tote bag as I come in, filled with a load of stuff that basically is, is for the recycling or fire, um, loads of stuff that is irrelevant to me that I don't want, and now I have to carry this tote bag around the whole day with me, and I might get a free pen, which is about the most valuable thing in the whole the whole bag. It's like, you know, you come in, you get that. That's, that's, that's sort of cliche of conference number one. And then, like, here, here's your attendees list, like running around, like, then hearing crappy talks. That's like, it's so common. It's so common at these things and this is where i think events companies like for me have to evolve and i don't know this is the bit i'm still i can't make my mind up on are events companies dead in in terms of like i'm just an events company that hosts events like for me right and i'm going to tell you about an event that 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 i like or brand there's a couple of examples so the first one is courier which we probably you know will reference on a weekly basis, but Courier built a community of like-minded people around their publication, um, which is Courier, it's a magazine, stories of modern business, it's aimed at entrepreneurs, it's aimed at startups, it's aimed at forward-thinking people in business, and the fact of that commonality around the publication and form the community, um, you know, made it made it quite compelling as a read. You know, it's something that I still subscribe to. I love to receive it. I love to read it across different industries. I get lots of knowledge. It's great. Then they started to branch out into other things. One of the things that they started to do was events, and the events for me they were always held. You know, it's like yeah, little bit little bit classic, but in in probably in the tea building or something in Shoreditch, like you know, um, those types of places but you were kind of like, I really want to go to this because I trust their brand. I trust that they're going to get good speakers in. they don't have to be from big companies. They just have to be interesting. And I know that the other people that are going to go are going to be like-minded people. And they're going to be in like, we're we're all going to have the publication in common with fans of the publication. And if they like that publication and I do as well, you know, there's a good chance we're going to hit it off. And it didn't feel superficial and it felt quite, quite organic. Um, and, and obviously, like, that's all taken a bit of a hit with the pandemic and they spun out, like, a, a new podcast series, which is, is worth checking out, um, which is good. And they've kind of taken a foot off the gas of events. But, like, podcasts now, I think, have, have a greater appeal and longevity than events. The, the other one that's done it, and this is more of a, a brand looking to create content, so um, a friend of mine, I don't know if you know him actually, Scott Morrison He used to be marketing director at Google. He runs a consultancy called The Boom um, and, he's, uh, and he set up another business, like a market research one. But he's a really, really, really good guy, like great personality, he wrote a couple of books, like really, really interesting, very forward thinking, innovative. Um, and, and he has been commissioned by Fora, the kind of co-working space, to create these kind of one-on-one events. So it was, it was with, uh, the, one of the really good talks was um, with uh, James Kirkham, who's now at Defective Records, he's ex-Copper 90, he was the co-founder of Hollow, who were a big digital agency that got acquired, Um, Probably about 10 years ago or something now, but he um, is chief business officer over at Defected and he was talking about how Defected as a, you know, um, dance institution um, had to pivot away from hosting nights to, and, and what they did is they started to run, I think it was every Friday they did like a live DJ event on Facebook. And people could actually, you know, have a rave up in their living rooms and like it was a really good way of engaging with their community and everything else. And this was a great story about how events had changed. But it was also, you know, Scott was engaged by Fora to to basically host these talks in Fora spaces. So it was quite subtle from a brand perspective, but it was basically a brand saying how can we create content, people aren't in our spaces, how can we create content, interesting people talking, interesting events that are online, that can keep people in touch with our brand and raise brand awareness but actually provide real value. And I think that's the key for me now in any conference or event going forward. It's like, does it have authenticity? Does it have real value? because like the days of soulless conferences to line the pockets of conference companies who rinse and repeat and don't take care in their work, don't get me wrong, they're big productions, they're hard to put on, there's a lot of logistics, but if you have no soul, I don't wanna be part of your conference. Like I want authenticity, I want to feel like the conference or event organizer understands me understands what i'm looking for understands what i want to see and it works the other way if i'm asked to speak at a conference i'm only going to want to speak at a conference that has that authenticity that that are into you know whatever the subject matter is or the industry or whatever like i need to understand what their values are as a conference rather than you know like oh my god like imagine going down to like i can't even think about it now going down to x the xl center or something like tobacco that for doc, yeah. massive oh, art about yeah like a massive expo or something like, i just can't i just can't even consider it anymore and i think that that you know like even you know people <laughs> i think people working from home will mean that that then also becomes a ball ache because you're not in the office like monday to friday Um, but that kind of brings me on to the other side I suppose or another big point is that and I think you're right about hybrid and I've got some ideas on hybrid that I'll put forward in a bit but virtual only is difficult because attendance drops like it's, it's easy to miss a virtual only conference even if you've paid and price point on virtual only tends to be under £100 right so like Like Not to sound flippant, because it still is a lot of money if you paid £49 or something to go, but it's not the end of the world if you miss it. And the fact that you've paid usually means you will get access to all of the content via a portal or follow-up emails afterwards. So it's not the end of the world that you're not there. In preparation for this show, I was doing some research and I went to a Dale Carnegie event. It was like an online event, you know, you sign up, it was free. It was high attendance actually, and it had a couple of Dale Carnegie instructors. They were going through some of the principles, and, you know, I was just interested to see, very American, obviously, purely American. um, But I kind of wanted to see, like, what content they're delivering, what the format is, you know, very recognised name. Um, and just see kind of how they were running their virtual. It was all on Zoom. And uh, Zoom gave them the ability to do these breakout rooms. But you kind of had this main session, and then you went into a breakout room, and the breakout room was dead. Like, the one I was in was absolutely dead. Now, like, if your room's dead, message us, and we'll put you in a bit more lively room. It's like, well, hold on a minute. Like, you need people to stimulate the conversation in these rooms. You need either people from your organization or appointed audience leaders who can get this conversation going and it's easy to hide behind a screen behind turning your camera off behind a keyboard behind mute um and maybe throwing a few things to the chat but when it comes to actually expressing your views you know via audio and actually talking and engaging with people there was a you know that that really didn't work so well, and I think that's where there's a lot of you know that don't get me wrong I, I I mean we actually developed our own events platform for the art industry as part of vortic.art you can uh, galleries institutions can hold events up to four speakers in real time with an audience, and there's just a chat box for comments and questions and you get toured around exhibitions so you know did a fair amount of research into different products hop in. Um, being one of the the, obviously the big movers during the pandemic and Hopin have tried to recreate the physical conference in their platform Um, I think you're going to reference this probably on the show notes as well with Hopin but um, yeah there's lots of lots of opportunity in Hopin to do like speed networking and go to like uh, different sessions and go to a keynote and You know, they've really recreated it in a way that they felt that other virtual offerings weren't doing. So one of the problems was that ability to break out into a room with one person and kind of network or talk or, you know, those things. But again, there's like, I, I think pure virtue only is, it's still got that level of falseness to it. Like it's almost so accessible. Anybody can attend like why are people there what are they looking for why do they want to talk to you why do you want to talk to them like it's not uh, feels again like an artificial situation and I think that's where it get, it again comes back to who is holding this event and what is the quality of the content
0: yeah I think you've you sort of hit the nail in the head a few times on on that and there's a couple of things i call out and sort of add some value to it on my sort of how I try and add value to it as well is... Uh, I completely agree with Kuya and Defected. Defected sort of invested for a year in creating amazing content, uh, amazing mixes. They they put on a low... Um, they put on so many different shows, so many different sort of events. The EZ one was, you know, they streamed, I think it was a uh, fundraising one for him. And that's connected to to fundra- like a fundraising side of it as well. They have like... And what I think they do really well, Defected, for instance, is although it's all free, they get sort of really, really big names that you and I remember when we used to go out. And then they blend it with like DJs that are still up and coming and current. And then they've got like the up and coming batch that are coming through. And Defected aren't, you know, they're a label, but they don't just have just their artists on there or just the people that they're invested in. They try and get a full spectrum on there i think they had like calvin harris and you know really big djs mm. and producers that typically charge you know we're probably getting paid a million per show at Hakkasan in vegas to, to mm. essentially to perform one of the other things you said is around you know a courier event i think there's a guy called paul armstrong puts on tbd conference and the first couple were, were fully immersive and you the goody bag was was curated in such a way that he'd understand what was great quality, like they were great quality, and he handpicked them for sustainability or 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 what what have you, and introduced me to like to a number of different brands that I'd never sort of experienced before. But at that event, he has this stage in the middle. It's 360. It's completely different. It isn't just stage and audience, and it was it's quick fire. So it's TED style. Deliver something that you know. Some people made the most pretty slides, you know, most aesthetically pleasing slides. Some people basically played a video and talked over it, and I think that actually that's that's the thing that speakers probably didn't do enough. Is is that rehearsal? You know, I'm um, a little bit of a rant very quickly. Is when you speak at a conference, you probably put in ten, twenty, thirty hours into the presentation for you know mm. fifteen, twenty, thirty, forty-five minutes, and very rarely do you get feedback especially in london and like the mm. best it's conference crowd. yeah the best conference i've ever spoken in was in manchester and i had so many questions and so many people came up to me afterwards and that's just testament to the, the attendees but also potentially to the to the it's the audience that went there and they were deliberate to 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 find and improve themselves and want to ask relevant questions and it, it seemed to be a questions for for the whole audience to learn from as opposed to just that one person asking nitpicking or asking a very specific question mm. one of the one of the things that I uh, don't like as a as a speaker is when you get given no information on the attendees because how are you ever going to produce something of quality for them and for the attendees you know even if it's job titles you can you can kind of cater towards a better presentation. I think like you said with uh, online it's it's almost too little friction and you know there's going to be on-demand content afterwards and i think there's a lot of speakers that are even killing their presentations and just talking which is fine if you add value but i think if there isn't that value exchange then it's just a case study and you never learn from a case study unless you're given numbers so you know as a speaker and as the attendee you're not really doing anything it's any organizer that wins so i think Mm. I like my own personal opinion is around it is you know there's certain speaker styles that some people look for there's others that other people sort of dislike and like a quick antidote or factoid is I spoke at a conference it was at Chelsea Football Club and I go mm. I met one of the people that asked me a question uh, afterwards and essentially offered me a job for a really big brand and it just came at the wrong time for me. But that's, you know, that's one of the positive stories is because it's quite engaging, but I've packed it full of information and it was Mm -hmm. like, here's the problem. Here's how we addressed it. Here's how we dive deep into it. But I think the speaker styles is interesting one that people might resonate Mm -hmm. with or or dislike is, you know, you've got the pictures, you've got the people that do 10 slides, one picture, one word, and they talk over it and it's not very Mm -hmm. shareable afterwards. And you kind Mm -hmm. of have to make a lot of notes. Then there's the sort of inexperienced speaker that whacks a gif in all the time. You know, I was a little bit guilty of doing that and you can't do it online. I love a gif back in the day. But it doesn't, yeah, exactly. But it doesn't render and it has buffer issues. Yeah, yeah. And then I think you get the person with lots of data and graphs, you know, the Benedict Evans approach, which is like thought-provoking. It isn't supposed to give you loads and loads of takeaways. It's supposed to make you think around things and explore it yourself. And then, like, I got told uh, a few years ago for an uh, an open office hours uh, for a large European VC that I make pre-slides. And I said, well, it's the content that that makes, you know, that's probably more beneficial to people. Mm. But, you know, like, I use lots of data. I use rapid fire. I want it to consume that event, and I want people to go away and think around it afterwards. So that's often why I create blog posts and slideshares and stuff Mm. like that. But I think where we've where we kind of where we land in and is probably around the you know the future state and and stuff. And mm. I one of the people I speak to, um, I speak at his events regularly. His name's Chris Towers from Raw Media. And I sort of asked him what the fu- what his future state was because I wanted to understand from a conference organisers' perspective because he's obviously had to do a lot of online and have mm. blind faith essentially in doing it. So. Um, I won't read the, all of the quote, but he said the future of conferences is still quite unclear for many of us working in the events industry. Uh, the constant change in uh, narrative and guidelines over the course of the pandemic has made it impossible to prepare and strategise. The only thing that is certain, in my opinion, is that there's a sense of uh, reluctance in the beginning of organisers sending their employees to mass gatherings. Something mm-hmm. that we've, um, we've had to fine tune is avoid all the costs of the last year and the lost an impression as such. It's building trust at the beginning is the most important factor. With all the events, they look and feel quickly evolve and devolve, and available guidelines at the time. And the hybrid offering should be normal for at least twelve months. And I think that's quite a good sort of kick-off point for your future state. What, what's your sort of predictions?
1: Mm. So, yeah, for for me, and I, I think the reason I like. There's a lot of really great examples of popular culture, like music, sports, um, uh, whatever it may be, like entertainment-based pivots in the events industry. But just to... The the reason I mentioned Defected is because with Defected, like, it's not only Scott and Fora doing great kind of content. It's Defected knowing. Like, it's the quality of the speakers that Defected bring, the DJs. So, as you said, like classics that resonate with a certain audience that we grew up with, the EZs of this world. Then you've got the mass guys, Calvin Harris. But then you've got like the up and coming guys, and I think you trust them as a brand to get you. You you know, in this case, it's music, but it, you know, that's what needs to happen. So, for me, the future state is is a hybrid that really, for me, it's smaller, it's more intimate and more exclusive in-person events that pack a load of value so the the hybrid part that is physical is about a little bit more about exclusivity and value it's basically the easiest way to describe it is physical exclusivity digital inclusivity is how i've kind of coined it so the attendees get a real experience with perks and benefits from being there in person. You know it's going to be good quality content. You know it's worth the trip and the entrance. You know you're going to meet people that are like-minded because there's actually some effort that's gone into audience selection, as it were. Um, and then I think there's different levels, different ways that they can monetize. So. You know, physical would be the highest price point. You'd probably get a really nice goodie bag instead of a crappy tote bag filled with flyers from anybody trying to sell you something. Like you might get something a bit more bespoke like that. And plus all the things I've already mentioned. Then you've got paid online attendance, which is a lower barrier to entry at a price point. For those that can't afford to be there in the physical, their company's not paying for it. This would mean that you can be there live and you can be there real time and you can interact and you can get more out of it. So obviously you might get sent something in the post, for example, depending on you know, people's take on sustainability and those type of things. And then you've got free online. Which is like highlights of the talk, so you still get access. You can still do it, and then if you want to pay, so say you could you buzz through like ten talks, and you're actually like, oh, there's two that I really liked. You could pay to upgrade to access those talks in totality, and I think that would be a more interesting business model hybrid for conferences and events. And that's like you know we've got to look at how the trends again and the trends again at the moment. You know you 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 open the show with your worried well social distancing walk through the park like you, you're going to get even with vaccines and things you're going to get a lot of people like in this mindset people not used to being in big places it causing people like I don't want to say like post-traumatic post-traumatic stress syndrome but like you, you know like or agoraphobia like people are, are like you know gonna be nervous about big gatherings I mean not if you look at like London Fields on a sunny weekend but I think generally they will I think the attitudes to international travel for conferences are going to change massively number one from a corporate and cost perspective number two from a a practicalities perspective if you have to come back and quarantine or you have to quarantine when you get there whatever the restrictions could be like that kind of international travel is going to be disrupted for a lot lot longer um, and that's where I think you know we certainly need to create more value, smaller experiences, things that people want to attend from home, even on this hybrid kind of digital element. I think small and intimate, like-minded people who actually want to be there, speakers who create good content in a format that en- enables attendees to learn and take those learnings into their business or into their life so they can be applied actionable things um the the you know the events hosts or companies and the conference hosts or companies that lack authenticity community genuine following their dead um there's no place for them that i can see in the market now it's about building your brand like the quote you read out it's about building the trust there's also some other things as well i just think that are uh, Addressing the need of going to conferences in different ways. So if we look at why we go to conferences as as attendees, like networking. So I think people need to be more vulnerable, more open. I think people need to reach out more often to existing networks. So colleagues, business connections, their LinkedIn, their Twitter, um, and, and actually lean on these more. But the key is you've got to put a lot in to get something out. You can't just be cold hitting people up unless you know i like super well, like, oh, can you introduce me to this person or can you help me out with this or do you know anyone that does this that you could put me in touch with? It's that give, 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 then ask. People have got to be more active personally on what they do within their networks and their communities and just be a little bit more vulnerable and authentic as well, asking for help and don't always like peacock it out and make out, you know, oh yeah, I'm, I'm the big cheese here. Um, obviously death to... F- flyer ridden irrelevant tote bags and business card exchanges um hopefully they're gone forever um and i think you know i'm going to miss the stress balls but uh if they <laughs> if there's you know events that actually offer something good and like introduce you to other brands with real value that have commonality to the region that you're there and the, the you know the hosts if it's sustainable brands or Upcoming fashion brands that you don't know about. Some of the stuff like courier, like you find out reading a, a you know, a, a career edition. Um, and corporates again, just just to reiterate, there's going to have to be a big change because corporates aren't going to want to invest in their staff to attend conferences. Money is better spent on coaching or mentorship programs, personal development, staff well-being internal events where more staff can benefit not just a single staff person that goes has a jolly up never tells anybody about it despite the fact you pre-agreed with them that they'll debrief everyone and what's the best way to learn is to teach right so the best people that go to events come back and they teach it to the rest of the company what the key learnings and that's the best way for them to learn the best way to share their knowledge but it didn't it hasn't always happened in the past and certainly I think in the future, that is something that needs to change. But there's just so much more that can be done instead of sending people to conferences, and so much many more people can benefit. Um, so there, there. That's where I go on the future state. Um, there's probably a few more I could rattle off, but I will hand over to you because I'll probably steal all of
0: yours. I, uh, I think we've got the, the quote of a week that you said, but I want to. Uh, I don't want to repeat it just in case. I, uh, I misquote it, but my uh, my first one is it's going to have to be a hybrid. Like, I don't think there's an excuse not to be. I think you, for a speaker, like you said, you're not going to want to travel. Like, I'm not going to want to travel. Like, I've spoken in Innsbruck in Austria. I've, I've spoken in the US. I've spoken all over the UK. I don't really want to travel to do that anymore. And I think, actually, interestingly, you could do it on demand. So I think you could pre-record it. And I think that's something that some people... If they're smart, they'll hire a recording studio or they'll hire a space and they get people to record it and they blend the different recordings in um, real time. And then the speakers can then come at the end and answer Q&A and they can do engagement. And you know, I think that's a completely acceptable way of doing it. I, um, I think that there's gonna be, engagement should be higher because engagement is really low at conferences generally now. And I think it's just because it's it's too broad. I think the more niche they go, the higher the engagement. The better the questions, the better the Q&A. The more conversation it spans off. And something I was writing down as you were you were talking was, you know, I did a masterclass for um, for a big social media tour a few years ago, and they, when they email me now, they still say how like how great it was. But that's because I took a data approach to it. But people were reaching out and asking me questions, and you know, re- reaching out on LinkedIn and. LinkedIn conversations just go go and go and away basically because you know there's going to be a load of asks as opposed to you know we want you to come in and help us or we want you to what you've done at that conference could you do it to the team because I don't think I'd do it benefit and I think a lot of people would do that and one thing I scribbled down was I think there's going to be a lot more groups or chat channels that come up after uh, conferences if there's a few of you that mm. meet so there's like Slack, Discord, WhatsApp, iMessage, all things that you could in Telegram that you can leverage and you could sort of co-create. And that will give far more value to, to people who attend. I think the you know, the reason why it would be more hybrid is there is a challenge for dropouts, but actually if they're going to pay for it, it doesn't really matter so much. And I do agree, there's like, like you said, there's the free, the freemium, and then the immersive, and then the, the truly hybrid. I think the questions that people have to ask for was: all companies and um, people pay for online presentations? We've already seen that. That's a struggle for some. So let's see, uh, you know, will On Demand be another one of a hook for a conference? And Will it be high enough produced to get people to pay? And I don't think people will really want to hear from an ex-Googler or a Facebook person or an ex-Deliveroo or an ex-Uber person. I just, I don't know. I think people should should by now realize that that's not going to be an option that's not an option that gives you loads of value and takeaway and insights i think it's nice Mm. to hear from them but it doesn't give you what you want i think there is an, an element of it that's going to be more and more interactive as in more immersive so i think vr with an ability to interact and have filters and you know even dive into the snapchat ar um ecosystem that they're building i think there's going to be a vr part of it which you know you can be a more massive and be in the room and you know it's something that mm. you could we'll probably you and I will touch on another another podcast I think there's the mixed reality side a way to connect with a speaker or connect with the audience and even walk through them if you're not there I think there's loads of different ways of doing yeah it. Well, and um, that was
1: my future future state <laughs> is is VR social VR mixed reality but we'll get into that. It's, more, it's quite interesting around the music side of things. So uh, Yeah, I think that's a to whole, that whole topic
0: on itself, by itself. And I think the third yeah. side is, is the live sales element. I've spoken at conferences, and people didn't know about the crowdfunding th- um, product offering that I looked after. Speaking at it, we then raised, it was one of the largest pages for the year. Um, and that was just based off of them understanding it, what the need state was, and then they could roll it out. That's you know I think there's a sales element to presentations that is going to be completely acceptable, and I think there's going to be like QVC style available. I think there's you could start promoting things and sell things when you're there, and it'll feel natural and people will do it because they're engaged. And I think that's something that so many people have a fear of promoting, but it's going to be it's where where you know if you chase a chasm or build for the chasm you're building for the early adopters is 16 to 26 percenters so I think there mm. is something there and I think it being exclusive and having exclusive deals is going to be so important uh, I think exclusive events are going to be will come back I think it be invite only in excellent locations are going to come back like there's one in, in the US that all the big tech CEOs go to I think we'll see mm. that and I think we'll see that come yeah. back in, in, in troves probably in 2022 yeah. but i was going to put an event on i know that's what i'd do i think it'll be more retreats and more like master classes that mm. are taking part and then with those master classes i think you're going to be invited to come in and talk and and do it to different industries and then i th- i think that there's you know a bit like um the uh super league breakaway that we talked around last week i think there's definitely going to be something around that i think it's going to be like the the master of all conferences and then the the old low ends mm. the the crappy tape bags that you said. And just lastly, I think, you know, I've always wanted to put on an unconference. I want it to be immersive. I want it for people to go there that they feel like they can put their phone away for five hours and they feel like they've learned and they feel like they've connected and it's in an environment that they want to be in and they want to learn from. So I think that's my mm-hmm. five future states.
1: Yeah, and I think you're, you're bang on there. It's uh There's so much to to dig, dig into different ways that it's going. I, I definitely stand by that physical exclusivity, digital inclusivity as as a way forward for that hybrid model. And I think that, that that's what we're gonna see. And I think, you know, it's great. It's one of those industries that I look at and yeah, from, from your low, like if it's free, don't go type mentality um, with the tote bag crew uh, <laughs> right up to the kind of high end paid events. I think the problem is who's gonna pay for the high end paid events. Um, and that's where the real issue is going to lie if businesses aren't willing to invest for their staff to go anymore and people don't want to pay themselves Um, i think that's a really interesting area um, there and i think yeah the future future is more immersive more vr based more mixed reality based like what can be done in those areas and you know living in the uk we always have the problem of interaction with uh, audiences which is always tough it's tough enough like reasonably tough in the states but nowhere near as tough as the uk i love seeing a us speaker in a uk audience and then being like hold on like no one makes any noise or talks or asks questions here so (laughs) always a shock to the system but yeah um there's lots for us to dig into i think in kind of offshoots of this on on future shows but if anybody's got any topics they would like us to dig into and cover and look at the future state of, please get in touch um, via the links in the show notes. Um, But yeah, that was a good good conversation today. We've probably got another hour in us, but our listeners probably haven't. Definitely.
0: (laughs) Thanks, Nick. Have a good week.
1: Have a good one. Good to talk. Speak later.